good morning and welcome to uh, Alamo City. <clears throat> want to just in, in a manner consistent with what we have just been singing, powerful name, wonderful name, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> next weekend, we've, we are uh, blessed to have as our, our guest um, our friend and brother David Turner. Um, he is a businessman who sold his business uh, over the last few years and is in full-time uh, ministry, traveling and uh, speaking. He does one thing, actually two things. One is he, he preaches the gospel of Jesus, speaks of coming to know Christ as the greatest miracle that's ever going to happen in a person's life. It's the only permanent miracle that we're going to have. We, we, um, it's the second thing that he does is he just has a heart to pray for the sick, folks who medically have, have not been fixed. The doctors haven't been able to figure out how to make them better, and, and there's just faith in his heart to, to believe um, that in many cases the Lord wants to express his love, show his love to individuals by giving them their lives back if they hadn't been able to walk, hadn't been able to move their arms, or much more serious conditions that have been uh, concerned whether or not there would even be survival as the sickness has been diagnosed. This will be, I think, either the fourth or the fifth time that David has been with us over these last few years, and every time he has come, it has been because we've felt that it was that season in the life of our church that uh, there were, and across the city of San Antonio, to the folks that are struggling with medical issues that the Lord may just want to heal um, and do something to take care of uh, beyond what medical science has been able to do. This isn't a this isn't a speaking against going to doctors or taking medicines. It's just that when those things have not been able to work, um, Lord, what, what would you want to do? And uh, there have been many of you over the course of these last few trips that David has made here who have been touched, been affected. God's set you free of some things. And it's not always medical. It can be emotional. Uh, just some bondages of the mind and the heart that the Lord wants to set captives free in. So that will be happening next weekend, and there are a couple of things about the services that I want you to know about. David will be preaching in this service uh, next Sunday morning, 11 o'clock service, and then there will be a special service that will be focused on praying for the sick that will start at 6 o'clock next Sunday night. Sunday evening. Anybody, everybody's invited. I just want to encourage you to pray about who you would feel like you would want to invite to be a part of that service. Um, and then on Saturday, the Saturday before next Sunday, normally we, we have a time uh, that is uh, limited to, to just our leadership group here at Alamo City, and women's leadership, our men's leadership, youth, children, um, Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers throughout the church, but specifically have leadership positions. And David has um, taken time to teach on the subject of revival and healing from the scripture. 
uh, for our leadership, but coming into this particular year, I've just felt impressed that we needed to open that up broader, um, sort of like one of, the, one of the Bible conferences that a lot of us grew up around, and there would be um, Bible teachers who would come to town um, in a conference setting, and it was just it was just one teacher of the word after another teacher of the word, and you just got so much scripture and so much a sense of the Lord's heart from the scripture that, that we would leave strengthened. Uh, next weekend, for those of you who would, who would just feel like you could use a dose of, of uh, time in the word, time to be encouraged, your faith to be encouraged, the, the, the significance and power of the person of Jesus to be strengthened in your heart all over again. You may want to, whether you're a part of our leadership group or not, you're, you would be welcome to come next Saturday in Fellowship Hall, 10 o'clock, and uh, we'll gather, and then probably around 10.30, David will begin to begin to minister the Word. And, uh, and then we'll get done when we get done. Um, it'll probably be noon or early afternoon when we finish, uh, so we won't be serving a meal, but, uh, but we'll try to have some refreshments to begin with and, and then go from there. So that'd be... 10 o'clock uh, next Saturday, and then the 11 o'clock service next week on Sunday, and then praying for the sick on Sunday evening. I, I want to encourage you to um, uh, take advantage of this opportunity as you're able to. Just a couple of weeks ago or so, I had the joy of uh, being with a group of men who, who serve on Sammy Tippett's board of directors, and we met in Tennessee for a time. And every time I'm around Sammy and that group of men, my heart is just encouraged and stirred up in the area of evangelism. Sammy has just been blessed with a, with a wonderful work of the Spirit in his heart um, to have a, have a vision to see the world um, reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then, then numbers of nations around the world and leaders, Christian leaders in those groups have developed a connection with Sammy over the years. And so we, we would spend time praying and talking through what's working in Sammy's heart about reaching the world. The faith to see folks saved, come to Jesus, churches strengthened, that works in Sammy Tippett's heart. And I'm blessed every time I'm around that. I'm not going to go everywhere Sammy's going, and I won't know all the people that he's knowing, but there's something about what the Spirit of God is doing in him that leavens me. David Turner is the same way. There's just something about the life of the Spirit and the love of God and the humility and his, the centrality of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus that I, I, just, I just get leavened and blessed and encouraged. I, I will have a personal revival next week whether anybody else has one or not. I'm just telling you, just by being around that, that sense of faith. Same thing with Sammy as worked with David Turner. Their, their, their focus is in, is in different directions in a sense, but it's the same spirit, the same work of the Lord, just, just expressing in different ways. So um, I, I don't, I'm not going to say anything about it, and I don't want to guilt trip anybody into being sure you're here, if I, but, but I, I sure do want to encourage you with everything that I, that I have within me to take part of in what's going on next week. Whether, you're, whether you have a medical need or not, just being in the place where, where trusting Jesus is emphasized and the gospel of Jesus and the power of prayer is working on, you, you will be blessed. 
and you will be strengthened as you, as you leave, all right? So let, I want us to just pray, and we'll pray for David Turner and pray for our time together this morning. Would, would you join me? Lord, thank you for the way you do things. Thank you that you're just, you don't always follow our bulletin. You don't always uh, do things as we would predict, but, but you never miss, Lord, and you're, you, you, you always finish what you start. And we ask you to bless David Turner and his family, his team, as they come next week, just as we ask you to continue to pour out your spirit upon Sammy and Tex and the ministry that they are involved in. We, we're, we're so uh, grateful, Lord, for the freedom that you've given us in this place to just run hard after Jesus. Wherever we sense you're going, we want to be with you. We want to cooperate with you. And we ask you to bless uh, these two men in particular, and we ask you to bless our time in your word this morning. And um, the streaming family, wherever those folks are, as well as the family here in this house, we ask you to refresh us, Lord, today in your presence. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen, amen. Take your Bible and open it, please, to the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 1. And I want to read these first few lines from uh, the writer Luke. Um, they're just, they're striking when you take the time to notice the words that he uses. He begins by saying, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. His first account was the gospel of Luke. This is Luke the writer, but now he pens a second book, and this is called the book of Acts. The first one was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now look at verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive, after his suffering, after the cross, after his death, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now just stop right there for a minute. You remember last week how we, we tried to take apart that word, that New Testament word that is so central to the teaching of the New Testament, that word faith, faith, and how we mentioned that the word faith, the original word translated in English faith, comes from a, a verb in the original language, which means to persuade or to convince, causing us to understand that to have faith means, or to exercise faith in the New Testament Bible sense means that the person who has faith has been persuaded of something, has been convinced that something is true. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, that that, that ability and that, that uh, position that we want to find ourselves in, that we have been persuaded of certain things by God or convinced of certain things by Him, that puts us on a, on a ground of being in a place that's pleasing to the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. By the word of Christ, Romans 10 would say, the word of Christ is that which 
convinces, that which persuades. And the result of that is the ability to believe, to have faith. It doesn't do us any good to fuss at people for not having faith when they haven't been persuaded of anything, or they haven't been convinced of anything. Now, that's so central in our understanding that that I want you to notice again what Jesus did when he didn't have to do it this way, but he understood how important it was that these leaders of the early church were convinced, were persuaded that he was, in fact, raised from the dead and that he was, in fact, who he claimed to be. He went to these exhaustive means, in a sense, to convince them. Luke writes it this way, to these he also presented himself alive. He he, he didn't send somebody else to say Jesus is alive. He didn't send Gabriel back who had announced to Mary that you're you're going to be the earthly mother of this one and you're going to name him Jesus. It wasn't an angel who was sent. It wasn't a written note that was left. It specifically says that Jesus presented himself, when that reflexive pronoun himself, it's there for the purpose of exclamation points all over. It was important to him that he himself presented himself to the disciples. And then it says, by many convincing proofs, by many convincing proofs. He wanted them to have so much evidence that he was alive, that it, that it wasn't just a, a story that was passed on and, and, and they were supposed to believe what somebody else had told them. He wanted them to know from him himself by means of many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days that he was alive. What that says about your God, what that says about Jesus is that he knows how you're wired. He knows what it is going to take to convince us, to persuade us that the things he wants us to believe are in fact true. It it, it isn't necessarily enough for it to be the one dimension of Words written on a page, and we're supposed to believe that, though we're called to believe. But the good news, folks, is that he knows that there are going to be many times where we're going to need to be convinced by him, persuaded by him, that something he wants us to do or he wants something he wants us to stand for, something that he wants us to represent is, in fact, true. The book of Acts begins with that, with Jesus himself engaged in convincing the disciples that he was, in fact, raised from the dead. You would think that after they had had heard him speak things, they heard his voice, they weren't just reading something he wrote or was written about him. They heard his voice say certain things. They saw him do certain things physically, literally. 
They saw and they heard. You would think that that would be enough to convince them that he is alive and that all that he claimed to be is true because we, we've seen him do this alive from the dead. We, we've, we've heard him teach. We've heard his voice. But it's striking, folks, that even though they heard many things and they saw many things for those 40 days of the resurrected Jesus, he still said, wait, wait. Don't go charging into the world. Don't go be doing these things that would be your assignment until this happens. Until, as Luke would report at the end of his, until you are clothed with power from on high. Look at Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even the uttermost part of the earth. You, you shall be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit grants you power to be my witnesses. Now, now stay with me. I know we've been over this many times in these last months, but just one more time. The, the word for witness means basically somebody who knows something. Can you say that back to me? Somebody who knows something. It's a judicial term, the court of law. You, you bring in a witness because that witness has seen something, heard something. That witness knows something. Jesus says, you will be able to be my witnesses as folks who know something about me. After the Spirit has come upon you. Now, we've talked about this before, the Spirit coming upon them. They, they, they had been convicted of their sins. They had faith to believe that Jesus had died on the cross for their sins. That's why he died. He had 40 days to explain Isaiah 53 in the light of his death. He, all, all of those things, they, they were, there was the Spirit working in them already for the saving faith, to be able to trust in Jesus. They, it, isn't, it wasn't that the, these people became the church on the day of Pentecost. They, they were already, according to 1 Corinthians 15, they, they believed that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried, raised again on the third day. Paul says that's the, that's the foundation of the gospel upon which we stand. That had to be true of them. That they, these were believers. These were followers of Jesus. See, if they had died on any given day, they'd have gone on to heaven because their trust was in Jesus. But what he was saying here is, it's not about salvation, not about conversion, it's about power. Your power, your ability, your enablement, you shall receive power, and that word means enablement or capability. You, you will receive from the Spirit, my Spirit, my invisible presence coming upon you and coming inside you, you will receive capabilities that you didn't have before. You will receive power that you didn't have before, for what purpose? For what purpose? For what purpose? Hang on to this. The result of the Spirit coming upon you in power will enable you to know some things about me in order to be my witnesses. You, 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 will, you will be empowered 
on the basis of what you know, what you will be persuaded of, what you will be convinced of. What you are persuaded of and convinced of about me will be your knowledge of me. And from that perspective, you're going to be able to accurately and authentically bear witness for me. I I know that that hadn't necessarily dropped the 18 inches quite yet, but I want to just stay with that and work that a little bit. The work of the Spirit, when he fills a believer, Lord, I've come to know you as Savior and Lord, but I want want to know what this is in Acts 1-8. I want to be filled with your Spirit. That happened to Peter. That, that happened to the 120. That happened to, and, and on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, they rose to bear witness of Jesus. They rose to bear witness of Jesus because there was a level of knowing who Jesus was that hadn't necessarily gripped them until that moment. As the Spirit was poured out, there came to be a further persuading and convincing of Simon Peter that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is in fact the Son of the living God. He is in fact the Lord of all creation. He is in fact the only way to get from planet earth to the Father's house. He is the only one before whom every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. They knew things about Jesus. Even physically, they heard him, and they saw him do things. But as far as Jesus was concerned in looking at them, there is still a level of really knowing who I am that you're never going to get until my spirit drenches you. And the clothing with power from on high is a persuading of, a convincing of ordinary people, saved sinners of who Jesus Christ is. Now watch how that's worked out with Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost. He, He... Stands up, he rises up to explain to the folks what's happening here. Tongues of fire, rushing mighty wind, people being able to hear of the great things of God in their own language. The miraculous ability to speak and or to hear. It was was a miracle that people who had never spoken a language were able to speak a language and be heard by ones who spoke that language natively in Jerusalem there for the, for the Pentecost feast. But look at chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then he began to explain. This is, this is what Joel was talking about. That this, is the, and this would happen in the last day, the last days, the great day of the Lord. But look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. 
Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Skip over to verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, the Father, excuse me, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Simon Peter, in the power of the Spirit, was persuaded that these things about Jesus were actually true. Find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Paul writes, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those lines in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, represent that which the Spirit at work in your heart, freshly filling you or me, wants to convince us is true about who Jesus Christ is. He's not just a footnote. He's not just a prophet. He's not just somebody who lived in history. He is God. And one day the whole world and hell beneath the world and the angels in glory and everybody in between will rise up or with their heads bowed in broken humiliation, but they will confess, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus the Christ of Nazareth who is Lord of all. Now, folks, folks, we know that. We know that those words are true, or we would embrace them as true words from the Scripture. But the difference that the Spirit makes is the difference between knowing it in our brains and being persuaded of it, convinced of it, deeply within our hearts, such that a passion for that truth is evoked in our lives. Simon Peter and the rest of them had to speak it because they had been persuaded of that truth. When revival comes, when the outpouring of the Spirit happens, it seems that consistent with those seasons of 
of, of outpouring of the Spirit, there rises up within the church this singular, passionate loyalty to Jesus Christ. Denominations fade, ethnicities fade, nationalities fade. Jesus rises above them all. Jesus is, is, is ascended above everything else. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit means, in essence, convince me, Lord. Persuade me all over again and afresh with who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Our problem, our problem, our problem is that when we step into these seasons where it seems as if our faith has waned or is waning, our, our ability to just believe the Lord and keep walking in faith, that, 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 that diminishes to some degree. Our, our tendency can be to start blaming ourselves. Well, you ought to believe. Look at all the, all the scriptures and all the things he's done for you before. Why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? And we can end up just pushing ourselves and backing ourselves completely away from the fellowship of the church because we don't feel like we're worthy because we can't believe. Bottom line, true of everybody. We wouldn't believe a thing unless we had been persuaded of it first. The pressure is not on you to believe or me to come up with enough persuasion to believe who Jesus is. Jesus himself came to those apostles. He himself presented himself alive. And he himself, there were so many of them that didn't even count. They didn't even list them, but they didn't even count. What all he did for those 40 days. I'm telling you, folks, when we get short on faith, when the fire of love or faith or obedience begins to diminish in our hearts, it does no good to start looking within ourselves and blaming ourselves because we don't believe and we don't love and we're not obeying. Who's the one who has the power to persuade? Who is the one who has the power, the ability to convince you such that on the basis of what you are convinced of, then you can say, I have faith. I don't have faith, and then I wait for God to convince me. That's a false faith, an empty faith, a shallow faith. I have faith when the Lord by his Spirit has convinced me. And I'm going to tell you, the reason Simon Peter couldn't shut up is because he didn't have the power to shut up. The, the, the knowledge of being convinced by the Spirit of God of what was true about Jesus, about what they were to do in the, with the pursuit of the church, that, that was something that was consuming. That was something that animated them. That there was something that sent them, took them to places they would never have thought that they would go and meet people and do things they never thought they would do. Why? Because they sat down and figured out, well, we need to go here, and then we ought to go there, and then we ought to go there. No. They were persuaded by the working of the Spirit of what the Lord wanted them to do. They were persuaded, and then they acted. They were convinced, 
and did they believe? It's the same way with us. So where are we struggling? Where are you struggling? With a place to believe, in the place of believing. Maybe there was a time when you found it easier. You were encouraged and you could keep going even though there didn't seem to be any measurable results happening. But there was still that sense of trust in your heart and, and a joy even though nothing maybe was happening. But as time has gone on, Maybe it's just been the passage of time. Maybe there's been some opposition. Maybe there's been some things that have looked the other way, the opposite of what you thought it was going to be. And you find that faith meter starting to do this. You're not quite as convinced as you were. You're not quite as persuaded as you were. Then what do you do? What they did, we referenced that in Acts chapter 4 last week. Why don't you go ahead and turn there. Let's read that one more time. Acts 4, verse 29. Peter and John go back to the apostles after they've been interrogated by the the Sanhedrin, the leaders who orchestrated Jesus' death. And now, Lord, verse 29, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. That means... Confidence that comes from being convinced. Confidence that comes as a result of having been persuaded. They recognized that they were diminished in their faith, that they they were losing their confidence. But instead of being embarrassed about that truth, instead of feeling like that's something that they ought to drum up within themselves, they took it straight to the Lord. Lord, we need you to give us our confidence back just like you gave it to us in the beginning. You persuaded us, you convinced us of who you are. And we couldn't keep our mouths shut. We were so convinced and joyful in the truth. But the confidence has begun to diminish. And when it says, grant thy bondservants confidence, we speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's as if they were praying, like we've been talking about until uh, we just about wore the words out over these last, last several weeks. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus, in the sense, Lord, I need you to freshly convince me. I need you to freshly persuade me of who you are, who I am to you, what it is that you're wanting me to do. Lord, I need you to persuade me all over again, convince me all over again, just as he did when we came to be convinced that he died on the cross and that he was our Savior and that we we needed to trust him as Savior and Lord. He convinced us of that truth. He never relegates that role of convincing or persuading to anyone else in the universe. He takes that as his responsibility to persuade you, to convince you. Some folks say, oh, I could never, I could never do anything like that. I could never do step out and do something bold. I could never be like Peter was. I could never be. You don't know what you could do. If the God of heaven picked you out and was determined to convince you, to persuade you, 
that he had a plan for you. You would know that it wasn't dependent upon you because you would know you could never even imagine such a thing. But when this crazy dream, this out of this world assignment seems to come and you are convinced that it was God who put that in your heart. There's no mountain too high. There's no sea too deep. What does the old song say? You you can't tell God what he can't do with you because he has the power to persuade you. He knows how to convince you. He took Simon Peter, you know, who was running and hiding and denying and all that other stuff. And look, look what Simon Peter says in, in Acts 4. They've been hauled in and interrogated and, and all those things. And look, look at verse, um, verse 8, Acts, Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, we might just put persuaded by the Holy Spirit, convinced by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, As to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which you rejected, was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Shut up, Peter. Shut up, Peter. Shut up. I can't shut up. I can't shut up. I got to finish this. And no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling. And began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nada to say in reply. Verse 19, Peter and John answered, said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. In other words, you exert some power, some earthly power, to tell us to shut up. But we just need to go on record and let it be known. There is a power greater than your power working inside of us, and the power inside of us won't let us shut up. Now, you take, you take that and back that up to Simon Peter in, the, in Caiaphas' garden late that night. I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. I wasn't around him. I wasn't with him. What happened? What happened from Caiaphas' garden to this, this trial encounter? The difference was the spirit of the living Jesus persuaded Simon Peter, convinced Simon Peter of who he was. It wasn't that Simon Peter was such a great guy, a great orator, a great man of conviction. We know the rest of the story about Simon Peter. The difference was the power of the Spirit to convince him Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that one day every knee 
will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Father exalted him because of his deep humiliation, Jesus' deep humiliation to go to the cross. And he's been given the name, the name, the name, the name that is above every other name. There's no name equal to it. All names are beneath it. Now, David Turner this next week will make much of that statement. Cancer is under the name of Jesus. Heart disease is under the name of Jesus. Discouragement, depression, rebellion under the name of Jesus. Being lost and could care less about God is still under the name of Jesus. I just want to tell you, speak the name. Speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. When there's come to be a conviction in your heart by the work of the Spirit, that he's everything he claimed to be and more. And it doesn't matter what Washington says or doesn't say. It doesn't matter what academia says or doesn't say. It doesn't matter what cultures and ethnicities around the world would say. Every knee, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. What? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, folks, listen. Here's the deal. Here, here's the deal. We know that's true. We know that's true. We can clap. We can say amen and say hallelujah. But when the fire turns up, when the heat turns up, when the opposition is there, when you're by yourself, just knowing in your head the information is not necessarily enough to compel you to be the witness that the Lord may want you to be in that setting. So then what do I do? Instead of beating myself up, well, I better say something, I better say something, I better say something, I gotta say something, this is just terrible, I gotta say something, I'm embarrassed. Instead of looking at yourself, that three-word prayer, the three-word prayer, Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill meaning Jesus, persuade me. Jesus convinced me. Jesus informed me. Jesus let me know what it is that you want me to do. But Jesus filled me. Jesus filled me. Sometimes he may have you do nothing other than sit in a room where it's, it's chaos and it's, it's perversion and it's junk as far as the eye can see and the ear can hear and the nose can smell. And he may just have you sit there and just say one, one word again and again as you look at Jesus. 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 What, what is that name? That name came out of heaven. Mary didn't come up with it. Gabriel, the archangel who one of two who stands in the presence of God, came out of heaven and found that young teenage girl, and he said, you're going to have a child and the Father with the Holy Spirit, and you ought to call his name Jesus. Jesus is the name that the angel armies recognize. Jesus is the name that every molecule in the universe understands as its origin. Jesus is the name that the devil himself fears and backs away from and has to change his plans when there is the sense of the presence of Jesus ushered in by those who are lovers of Jesus and followers of Jesus just sit in a hellhole surrounded by other folks and just begin to speak his name. Jesus. 
Jesus. The angel armies look down. The demons in hell begin to growl. The things on this earth are in a state of flux and change all because of the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Speak his name. What this is, this filling of the Spirit, is about the stirring up of a fresh and free love for Jesus, but a recognition of who he really, really is. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, persuade me. And when we say Holy Spirit, Paul will say, now the Lord is the Spirit. You remember that? The Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's consistent to pray, Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Where, where is the needle starting to move toward empty in the walk of faith in your life? With regard to a person or position or finance, whatever it would be. What if the Lord is desiring, not for you to beat yourself up or even go back to verses of Scripture that used to seem to impart a lot of encouragement, but somehow that seems to have fade and grown old. What if he's waiting for you to take him at his word, Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? We don't ask and pray for and wait for some one crisis experience once in a blue moon. It's, 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 it's to be as natural and regular as breathing. How often do you have to breathe? You know, pretty often. How often do we find ourselves in need of the fresh, of the Spirit, freshly convincing us and freshly persuading us of that which he wants us to believe him for or to trust him to do. I want to show you a couple of other spots in Romans. Go go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And this this is Abraham, the story of Abraham. The promises to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be an heir of the world. It was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, through the right standing which comes from having been convinced by God, persuaded by God of something that is true. Skip down to verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope, against hope, he believed. Abraham believed. They kept getting older, no baby coming. In hope, against hope, look, he remained persuaded. He remained convinced. Hang on to that. In hope, against hope, he believed. In order that he might become the father father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, Weaken his persuasion. Weaken is what he was convinced of. 
He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet respect, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And here is the key. Here is why this next statement is why all those previous statements could be said to be true. And being fully assured that what he had promised, God had promised, he was able also to perform. Being fully assured means it's a passive verb. It meant that somebody else was doing the persuading of Abraham. Abraham wasn't persuading himself just on the basis of what he had believed the Lord had said. But there was, and the tense here is, there was an active, consistent movement of the Spirit of God working in Abraham, assuring him, persuading him, convincing him that what God had promised God was able also to, how did Abraham last that long? How did they make it all those years and not give up in faith? It's because the spirit of the living God was assuring him, persuading him, convincing him. It wasn't that Abraham on his own was just a great man of faith. He was a man of obedience. He was a man, many things about him were great, but his faith came from, according to the word of God, this verse, the fresh, consistent, regular assuring of Abraham that what God had promised him, God was going to do. Now, folks, listen. You and I could, you and I could function in that place. That Lord, I'll keep walking. I want to keep going. I want to keep trusting you. But I've also got to be trusted that you're going to keep assuring me you're going to keep convincing me when I need it and where I need it and when it emerges that, that I'm growing weak. Freshly persuade me, Lord. Does that sound like freedom to you? Instead of getting beaten up, and, you know, and I just need to believe and God's up there, he's mad at me already because I forgot what he did two weeks ago and I've got something coming out next week and I'm scared to death of this and I know he did something there but I can't remember what that was. As, as if it's, he's mad at us because we're not able to produce persuasion or convince. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do in your life. Running over to a Christian friend, can you, can you just assure me? Can you reassure me? Would you find that? That didn't give you much, so you just, you just wear the church out, just going around trying to get assurance. When do we stop and turn our hearts up to him? Lord, I'm empty. Now, I, I know I was better yesterday, but I'm telling you, today, yesterday, today, some days chicken, some days feathers. I got a mouthful of feathers today. And I, you, you know everything about me. You know where I am. Jesus, fill me. Don't, don't wait till noon. Don't wait till 5 o'clock. Don't wait till quitting time. When you notice it, start praying, Lord, fill me. Here's the other one I want you to see, and this is in Romans 8. Paul writes, 
Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us, cut us off from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you go back to that verb that starts verse 38, for I am convinced. It's a wonderful truth lost in the English translation. Here's how it literally reads. For I have been persuaded that neither death nor life. I have been convinced. It literally, in the original language, is what's called a perfect passive tense. Perfect means something in the past happened way back here, years before. This convincing happened years before. And the results of what happened years before, here's the perfect part of it, continue on into today. It's just as real today as when it happened when I was convinced of it back here. But when he, when he uses the passive voice, it means that happened to me. I, I didn't convince myself. I was convinced. I was convinced. I was persuaded that neither death no life, no angel. He wasn't just writing poetry, folks. He was a man of letters. He could have come up with all kinds of things to encourage the saints. But what he's talking about is something that God had persuaded him was true, had convinced him was true. You say, well, why did Paul, how was he able to go through all the stuff he was going through, beaten and shipwrecked and in prison and ultimately martyred for his faith? How was he able to do that? It was because the Spirit of the living God had persuaded him that even if death comes, even if poverty happens, even if you're left alone, nothing, nothing, nothing will cut you off from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now see, we can read that and we can be blessed by it. But the Lord isn't just, he's not about information only. The Lord's about impartation. So that the words that Paul wrote become by the power of the Spirit the expression of our hearts. Because we have come to be convinced and persuaded as he was convinced and persuaded of the truths that are here. Amen? So we don't need to be spending our time beating ourselves up for our little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. That's just probably all of us in the room, isn't it? To some degree in certain areas of our lives. But to be, to be able to believe the meaning of the word faith means to have been persuaded that something is true. To have been convinced that something is true. 
So whatever it is that I sense I need to believe, I should believe, even though I can give mental assent to it, I can say I agree with that, but to believe is not the same as agree. Believe means I've been persuaded, I've been convinced that that's true. And may it be. May it be in our hearts that we'll know where to go when the faith begins to wane, when the doubts begin to rise, when the lack of confidence begins to surface itself again. And that we would find the permission gained from the reading of the account of the apostles. Lord, grant your bondservants boldness. Take note of their threats. But grant your bondservants boldness while you extend your heal, send your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your servant, Jesus. It all comes back to confidence, being persuaded of, being convinced of, down to your toenail, who Jesus really is. Lord, I'd ask you to help us with this. I ask you to help us, Lord. Some of us have just checked out. Some of us have just left. We just said, I can't believe. I'm playing a game. It's fake. What I used to think was true or believe, I'm not so sure anymore. Lord, I ask you, I ask you, Lord, to just reach out this morning and take hold of the hearts of ones who just felt like they needed to give up. Because honestly, they couldn't believe. They couldn't believe. And something has been lost in their appreciation of who you are. Lord, our prayer is convince us all over again. Persuade us all over again. Whatever you need to do, whatever you know works for us, Lord, cause us to know convince us that you are who you say you are. Warm our hearts again, freshly in the light of what we have come to be convinced of again. Thank you, Lord, that you're the friend of sinners. Great is your mercy. And how often awesome it is to realize, as Paul wrote, though, we are faithless. You remain faithful. Make your presence known. Where you know we need to be persuaded and convinced. Cause faith to rise in your church. We bless you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.